We've all heard of boy meets girl, but today we take a look at girl bleats boy. And then we finish off season 16 by taking a trip in an elevator. After you, sir. Ding! The doors open up. You step inside and I just wave. I'm not getting on this elevator. <laughs> you are. You're getting on this elevator. And you're about to come face to face with unspeakable madness. Today on the season finale of Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Season 16 comes to an end, episode 801. That basically is 16 years worth of podcasts if I did this as a weekly podcast, like a sane person. Like every other podcast out there only comes out at once a week. 801 episodes. Thank you so much for being on this journey. We're just getting started still. This is this is still phase one, believe it or not. I got a lot of big plans coming. But the podcast itself will always remain. Dead Rabbit Radio will go unchanged. You're like, Jason, you should change a couple things. There's a couple things you can improve on. Ah, you heretic, get out of here. But someone who we're inviting into our arms, we're standing behind the door waiting to hug him. It's our newest Patreon supporter. Give it up for... Pythagorean Serpent. Yay, come on in, you big old snake dude. He's slithering on in. Pythagorean, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show really, really helps out a lot. Now, I know on yesterday's episode, on yesterday's episode, I accused all of your friends and family of possibly being serial serial killers in disguise. Don't, Don't recommend that episode to them. They'll think you have some suspicions about them. We got a lot of housekeeping to do because this is the last episode of season 16. I'm going to take a break. I'll be back around January 11th. So I'm going to take two weeks off, but I'll be back. So I hope you guys enjoy the holidays. We are doing a Christmas Eve live stream. It'll be on YouTube under the Dead Rabbit Radio channel at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you can join us for that, hot chocolate presents will not be provided, but maybe we'll all drink virtual hot chocolate or something like that. But be there. If you can't be there, it'll obviously still be on YouTube, and I'm going to clean up the audio and post it as the podcast as well, so you guys can listen to that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And let's give a shout-out for this fan art for the last Fan Art Friday of Season 16. Check this out from Captain Manchild. It's a little, little bunny rabbit boogieing down. Captain Manchild, longtime Patreon supporter, very active in the Patreon Discord. Thank you so much for sending this over. I like it. He's a little dude. He's chilling out, just like we all should be chilling out during this winter break. Pythagorean Serpent, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're rowing all the way out. To Kenya. So splash pushing them oars. Oh splash. <laughs> I'm just kicking back. You can make up the song. I have such a hard time coming up with a good sound effect for the rowboat. I don't know what I used to do. But anyways, we've we might have to mothball this boat. We might put it into retirement. We're jumping out, so this might be the last time we ever use it. Pythagorean Serpent is leading us out of the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're walking around Kenya. Specifically. We're in the Mayugi village. That's in the Navaloko constituency. That's in the Navaloko constituency in Kenya. And in Mayugi village, there's a place known as the Soy Market. 
There's a bunch of people, like, they got, like, bushels of apples and Nintendos and things like that. Just a bushel of Nintendo Switches sitting there. And we meet the young hero of this story. His name is Joel Namasaka. Very, very recent story. This just happened, like, a couple weeks ago. Joel Namasaka is walking around the soy marketing. Like, picks a apple out of the bucket. Takes a bite out of it. Flips the owner a coin. <laughs> he walks up. He takes a switch out. He's playing it. Flips the owner a coin. The guy's like, hey, it's like $450. He's like walking down the street playing a switch eating an apple. Joel Namasaka. I don't know. I'm assuming this market is like... I'm kind of torn. On the one hand, when I hear market, I'm thinking it's like Aladdin. So there's like bushels of... <laughs> so I keep going back to the bushels of stuff. But then I'm thinking maybe it's more like just a sea of mall kiosks that you walk through and people are trying to etch your name on a personalized license plate or give you a foot massage. I don't know. So Joel Namasaka is a man on a mission. He's looking for deals. He needs to buy some more apples. He needs to like look around and be like, ah, that's too much. And then he goes to get his name etched in a vanity license plate and pays 25 bucks for that. He's like, I don't have milk, but at least I have this awesome license plate. While he's having all of this fun, drinking the Orange Julius as he's walking around, he sees what we all want to see when we're out shopping, or really just outside in general, a beautiful woman. <laughs> because apparently they can't be inside. The second they come inside, they turn into a pillar of salt. You can see them anywhere, but who doesn't want to sp who doesn't want to see a beautiful woman when they're just out and about? It really is. You're like, wow, that woman's hot. So he gets to see this beautiful woman. He's walking the market. Now he approaches her, dude. This dude's straight up pimping. Like some guys will just look and go, wow, she was hot. And then <laughs> I'm totally exposing myself. I'm not a creep. Trust me, I'm not a creep. But it's like, when I look at a beautiful woman, I'm walking down the street to see a beautiful woman, I go, wow, she's hot. But nine times out of ten, I won't approach her. Most of the time, because I'm busy, or I feel it's super rude. Like, I, I have this weird game when it comes... I'll approach women in situations where I figure they want to be approached, right? Like at a bar or a concert, or a monster truck rally, or pretty much anything that's like a group setting. And so, but I don't really have street game. I've, I I used to, it's it's not good, I'm not, I'm not subtle. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that, but I am not subtle at all. Some people say it's like watching a nature documentary when I'm hitting on women, and other people are just like, dude, what in, the, what in the world was that? Get in the car, let's go, let's go, let's go. They have, like, secondhand embarrassment. They have embarrassment for basically the rest of their life, and I'm like, ah, it's a Tuesday. That's what I do. I don't do street game that much anymore. But anyways, Joel does. Joel walked up to this woman and starts spitting game. And, even better, there's no second, third-hand, fourth-hand embarrassment. It's working. This beautiful woman is falling in love with Joel, and they actually start to talk about the nature of love. The nature of wanting to be with another person. Your soul is ripped in two pre-birth. You're not even conceived yet, and your soul is rended in half. And then once you're born, you seek out that other half of your soul. The nature of love, the very metaphysics of what brings us together as a people. That's some, that's some deep game. That's some deep game. And they're talking about the nature of love. And he's sitting there and he's looking at this girl. Again, I got to get up to you, Joel. He goes, do you want to be my girlfriend? That's, I, 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 don't, even, I don't even ask that question like six months in. You want to be my girlfriend? And she says, yes. So now the next step, right? He's met this woman. They've talked about love. They're boyfriend and girlfriend now. So he goes, it's time to consummate this relationship. How about me and you go back to my place and we bang. He probably said it a little more romantically than that. She agrees, though. And they walk back to his place. 
they get back to his place, and as Joel is leading this beautiful woman into his apartment, he's kicking soda cans underneath the couch and hiding Taco Bell wrappers. He's like, oh, I didn't expect to bring home a beautiful woman. He points at the bedroom and goes, hey, baby, that's where the magic happens. And she gives a little wry smile. And then they walk into the bedroom, and he turns around and he goes, let's do it, baby. She's gone. The beautiful woman is not in his bedroom. Now you're thinking, is this the most perverted version of the Phantom Hitchhiker story? It's a phantom that he brings home and she disappears right until they get into the bedroom? No, that would would actually be preferable to what happened. He turns around. The woman is gone. Instead, in his bedroom, is a giant goat. Wait, is that how a goat sounds? Sounds like a T-Rex is trying to come out of its udder. It's making that noise. You're taking off your headphones. You're like, damn it, Jason, seriously? Don't be so loud. I get it. You're a goat. But Joel, he runs out, right? This is not what he signed up for. And then he stops. He stops halfway. He's like, did I sign up for this? He's like, no, no, no. I'm not down for banging a goat. And he runs out of his house. What happens is his friends apparently see him acting up because they end up putting him on the back of like a bike taxi. This guy's like, oh no, I'm almost banged the goat. I almost banged the goat. And the friends are like, ah, they're freaking out. And then they hail a taxi for him. And they're like, here, take him to his dad's house. He almost had sex with a magical goat or something like that. We can't run. They're like waving goodbye to the taxi guy's like, oh no, this guy's going to slit my throat. This guy's a maniac. So the guy, they have those little bike taxis. They're called like Boda Bodas. We did a whole story about them a long time ago about this terrifying serial killer that was killing these Boda Boda riders. But anyways, I'll put that in the show notes. This dude, this maniac's hanging onto your waist as you're driving through the villages of Kenya, getting him to his dad's house because he didn't live in the same area. He gets to his dad's house and the dad says, my son walks in. And Joel goes, Dad, you won't believe what just happened. I picked up this beautiful woman and I brought her back to my place. And the dad's like, I don't believe that either. You're such a dork. And he's like, no, 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 that part, that part happened. I bring this woman back to the house and she turned into a goat. And the dad's like, oh, man, (laughs) I never told you your mom was a goat. He's like, what? No, the dad's like, "Uh, I don't know, man. That sounds like you're kind of like, that doesn't sound right. And then Joel starts to, quote unquote, act possessed. Uh, 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 and he starts like running around the house knocking stuff over apparently according to his father he started to in in this order by the way this is very very important this is the order that the newspaper article put this in he started to burn his clothes give me a match give me a match he's burning his clothes then he starts beating people up Get out of my way, Dad. Oh, he's chasing the Texas cab driver, beating him up. He sees someone putting up their laundry outside, beating them up. He starts burning his clothes. He's beating people up. The third thing that he's doing is, quote, this is the most troubling one, really, removing his trousers whenever he sees a woman. So on the one hand, here's a guy. He's running around. He's beating someone up. Some woman's walking on the street. He stands up, takes his pants off. That's alarming, right? That's a sex crime. But then I was thinking, wait a second. Does that mean he was wearing his clothes while he was burning them? Like, I assumed when I first read this that he took his clothes off. He's like crazy. He's like, la, 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 blah, 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 blah. And he makes a pile of clothes and sets them on fire. No! 
Apparently, he set his clothes on fire. <laughs> this guy's kind of a badass. He set his clothes on fire, and while his clothes are on fire, he's beating people up. And then a woman walks by, and he throws, he takes off fiery pants, flaming pants, and throws them on the ground. Now he's running around with no pants. And technically, I guess his defense in court could be like, Your Honor, I didn't take him off because I saw a woman. I took him off because my pants are on fire. And he's also apparently eating uncontrollably. So that's the least of your worries. That's the least of your worries when you're running around throwing off flaming clothes. Apparently, like, this is the last we've heard. This is a newer story. Just happened a couple weeks ago. He's locked up in his house. His family doesn't think that it's safe for him to be by himself, which is true. Most people would look at that and go, that didn't happen. You're probably having some sort of mental breakdown. Or other people would go, no, that's possible with witchcraft. You could have a shapeshifter. The weirdest part of this story, though, isn't the woman coming back to turn into a goat. Because honestly, that makes sense in the lore. We have stories of shapeshifters going back to the beginning of the dawn of time, right? That's not even the weirdest part of the story. When they were at the supermarket, they were buying stuff... And they got a couple sodas. And as they're walking back to his place, they're both drinking their sodas. And at one point when they're walking through the house, Joel gives his soda to the girl. So now she's carrying both sodas. This is so bizarre. When she turns into the goat, when he turns around and watches her become this goat, the goat's horns are made out of the soda bottles. I don't even that I don't even know how to classify that. I don't even know how to classify that as a bizarre event, as something out of high strangeness. How does that even happen? I mean, we've had, you know, people shapeshifting into werewolves. They weren't wearing like Gucci shirts. They didn't become an advertisement. You have this woman shapeshifting into a goat, which makes sense in the lore, but its horns are Pepsi bottles. And not even that it had, like, Pepsi bottles attached to its head. It's that the horns looked like goat horns, but they were made out of Pepsi bottles. Or Fanta, whatever it was, RC Cola. That's so weird. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen a shapeshifter take modern implements and make it part of their shape. Absolutely mind-blowing. If it was just the woman turning into the goat... I may or may not have done this story, honestly, because we have stories of shapeshifters. But the fact that it goes to that level, I always look at it. We have paranormal, and then we have dead rabbit radio paranormal. We got the weirdest of the weird. And when I read that, the horns became... The horns were made out of the drinks, the bottles of the drinks they were drinking. That's so weird, and I can't think of anything else we've ever come across where we've seen that. Fascinating story i honestly think this one is true because of that detail it's weird I, I a lot of times when stuff is different than what you would expect it's not because they read it in a book it's not because they saw it on an episode of unsolved mysteries and they're being they want to be part of the conspiracy it's that it actually happened or <laughs> it's also possible this guy is having some sort of mental breakdown that's likely as well but i definitely don't think he's making it up really really fascinating story Pythagorean serpent, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Kenya. We wish you all the best. He's like, he's like, yeah, any port in a storm. I went back to her. We started having little goat babies. Pythagorean serpent, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Kenya. We're headed all the way out too. 
the Ukraine. And while we're headed out there, I want to get in one more Dead Rabbit Recommends for Season 16. This is a really weird one. It's one of those movies that I'm not going to reveal really anything on. It's free on YouTube. It's in the show notes. It was sent to me by a listener, one of you guys, a listener known as Lafla Shaley. And it's a movie called M1028. The reason why Lafla sent it to me was recently I did an episode where I was recommending Christian movies. One of them was a Christian horror movie called The Remaining. One of them was like a Christian Mad Max sci-fi apocalypse movie called Revelation Road 2, The Sea of Glass and Fire. Really enjoyed both of those movies. And Lafa said, well, there's something else you can probably want to add to your, your <laughs> very, very small list of Christian horror movies. M1028. It is a Christian horror movie that was filmed, from what I can tell, and kind of some of the information Lafa gave me as well. It was filmed by a church group. In maybe like the early 2000s, the fashion makes me think late 90s, early 2000s. It's only 55 minutes long. And uh, that's all I'm going to give you on it. That's all I'm going to give you on it, really. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to watch this movie. So it's like I'm preaching to you. I'm prophesizing. Prophesizing? That's not how you say it. But you, you know what I mean? Going out. I'm, that's not why I'm recommending the movie. Um, just watch it. It's uh, interesting. M1028. Dead Rabbit recommends M1028. A cult movie, like an underground cult movie if I've ever seen one. So thank you, Lafa, for sending it over. It is a unique film. M1028. Dead Rabbit Radio recommends M1028. Not a Christmas movie. (laughs) Not a Christmas movie either. Very, very interesting film. Pythagorean Serpent, you bring this carpenter copter nice and low. We're flying over the Ukraine. It's the late 1990s. Now, this is a story that is always stated up front. This could just be an urban legend. But apparently this was published in a Turkish newspaper that they heard about what was going on in this city in the Ukraine. The city is never named, but this Turkish newspaper apparently ran an article about this because the Soviet government, late 90s, the Russian government, the newly formed non-Soviet Russian government, was trying to suppress this story. We're in Ukraine. We're in a bad part of town in an unnamed city. <laughs> this, the, the Ukrainian tourism board definitely would want to cover this story up. There's a bad part of town, and in the bad part of town, there's kind of a rundown apartment complex. The police are often coming here to investigate crimes, muggings. I don't know. <laughs> Do they have carjackings? Do they have cars in this area? I don't know. Late 1990s Ukraine, wagon jackings. The police, this is just one of those tenements. They're like, oh, we're not going back to C-Block, are we? It was a crummy building in a crummy part of town. And of course, it has a crummy elevator. That's not working. You very rarely get four-star service in a town like this. But the residents, the people who live here, they're good, hardworking people. They're trying to do their best with what they have. So one day, a dude's waiting to get on the elevator. And he's sitting there. And he's like, oh, man. And it was just, it's broken. This elevator is constantly getting stuck. And he's like, oh, dude, I really don't want to have to carry these groceries all the way up five flights of stairs to where I live. Hitting the button, hitting the button. He goes, this will work. Maybe the 500th time hitting this button will work. And eventually the elevator does start again. He's like, aha, that was was totally worth my afternoon. Ding! The elevator doors slide open. And just as they slide open, the lights of the elevator turn back on. 
And inside this elevator is a dead man. He slumped against the wall, his skin completely pale. And it's the man who was waiting for the elevator as that scream starts to well up in the back of his throat. He looks and he sees two holes in the man's neck. And a little bit of blood dripping out of those holes. The man's scream emanates through the apartment complex. People start waking up. Oh, what? It's actually probably in the middle of the afternoon. It's a bunch of lazy bums taking naps. People come and they see this dead man slumped over in this elevator. They call the police. They do the autopsy. Cause of death. Severe blood loss. The guy, the guy who found the body was like, I could have done that. Pay me money to be a coroner. He died of severe blood loss and shock. So the police, they're processing the scene. They're checking for fingerprints. And here's the problem. It's an elevator, right? There's fingerprints literally everywhere. So that's not helping them. But there's One of the weird things, though, is there's no blood in the elevator. Like maybe a little like drop here, drop there from the wound. But where did all this blood go? And people in the apartment complex start saying the dreaded word. Vampire. Now, vampires aren't real. And if they were real, what would they be doing in a Ukrainian elevator, someone says. And then you just let them know. Vampire. Because how do you argue with that? You have a dead guy with two holes in his neck. One month later, in that same elevator. Oh, man, this button's not working. It seems to be stopped between, like, the fourth and fifth floor. Oh, I gotta carry these groceries up. Click, 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 click. They're hitting the button, then eventually... Ding! Elevator door slides open. There's a couple people standing there, and as the elevator doors slide open, they see the lights come back on. Slumped against the back of the elevator... I mean, eventually you're just going to start taking the stairs. You're not even going to try in the button. Slumped against the back wall of the elevator. 13-year-old girl. <sighs> Dead. Same puncture wounds. Also, had her blood sucked out. Died of blood loss. Vampire. Now, obviously, obviously, the police are not looking for a vampire. They're thinking this must be some sort of killer on the loose. This is a bad part of town, even though the people in this building are nice. Um, there's utter chaos all around them. You have a quote from Leonid Kurnev. He was a former KGB propaganda minister, and he—I don't know why he—I don't know why he's following this case. Maybe he's covering for the vampires. He says it's not a vampire, you idiots. If vampires existed, I would know about them. I used to work for the KGB. So I know they used to exist and we tortured them all to death. But as a former propaganda minister, if you can trust anyone, you can trust a former propaganda minister of the KGB. He says, it's not a vampire, guys. It's not even a serial killer. These people are dying of heroin overdoses. They must be injecting themselves twice in the neck with heroin. And then, I don't know, all their blood just disappears. But these were heroin overdoses, case closed. And the people in the building are like, uh, first off, we don't believe you. Right? We don't believe you at all. That That's the worst possible combination of words ever. KGB propaganda minister. 
it has to be a vampire. So the the people are really freaking out about this, as you would. I mean, this is an hysteria. Two people are dead. Two people are dead. It's not like they're just imagining this thing. So the police are like, okay, there's only really one way we can do this. We have to have police presence in the building, and not just in the building, in the elevator. So they get a sergeant. We're going to call him Sergeant Smith. And then there's a detective who's in charge of this investigation. We're going to call him Detective Dan. Just to make it simple. So Detective Dan and Sergeant Smith are assigned to... <laughs> this tenement is not in a good area. I mean, they're cops. But still, even cops don't want to get you know shot in the face. They Their new assignment is to ride in this elevator... Where two people have mysteriously died. Their job is to ride in this elevator, basically, until they figure it out. Which sounds like the best assignment ever. Someone needs to make a movie just about a, a rookie cop and the hard-boiled, like, veteran. And it's just them in an elevator, up and down, up and down. They're in this elevator for three days. I'm assuming, I'm assuming they were allowed to go home and sleep with their families. But who knows? Right? It is, it is Russia... They're riding this elevator up and down for three days. And so you have Detective Dan and you have Sergeant Smith. And Sergeant Smith, when they first go in there, they're assigned... They have their firearms on there already, right? They have their guns. They're also given flashlights and radios in case something happens. But no one... They just figure there's some guy... I mean, the heroin story doesn't make sense, but maybe some guy's coming in and murdering these people. They just don't know. They're not super worried about it. But Sergeant Smith actually goes, hey, listen, I gotta be honest. I'm probably not... I'm probably not the best cut out for this assignment. And Detective Dan goes, why not? And the sergeant says, I have claustrophobia. So <laughs> the thought of being stuck in a metal box with another person for however long this takes, that just terrifies me. Just the assignment terrifies me. And I have a bunch of phobias. The claustrophobia is one of my worst. I probably shouldn't be a cop at all because I have all these phobias. And Dan goes, listen, dude, it'll be okay. And then when he says that a bunch of people get on the elevator, it's packed full of people. They're like, third floor, please. He's like, ah, Smith's going nuts. Uh. For three days, they're riding up and down in this elevator. And at one point, it gets stuck between the fourth and fifth floor. And Smith gets a little nervous and his hand goes to his gun and Dan's like, you calm down. It's just... It's, it'll be fine. And then the elevator continues to work again. It's just a crummy elevator, Smith. Don't worry about it. And this goes on for about three days. Every so often, the elevator would break. And then it would continue on its way. But on the third day, the elevator breaks down again. They're stuck between the fourth and fifth floor. And then... The lights go out. In the darkness, Smith says to Detective Dan, Hey, remember, remember I told you about all those phobias I have? And Dan's like, yeah. And Smith goes, "One of I, I, I'm afraid of the dark. I have a phobia of the dark. I, didn't, I figured people were afraid of the dark. It's called nyctophobia. Nyctophobia, fear of the dark. So, so basically, I'm now trapped in a dark metal box. These are the, my two worst fears put together. Detective Dan goes, don't worry. This We've had this happen before. The elevator's broke before. It'll start working eventually. And that's when they hear, click, click, click. Click, 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 click. In the pitch blackness, 
they turn on their flashlights and aim them up to the ceiling of the elevator. Click, 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 click. They hadn't heard this noise before. Click, 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 click. And they notice now when they're aiming their flashlights up, a panel on the roof of the elevator has been kind of moved to the side. They're looking up now up the elevator shaft. And these two flashlights are kind of dancing across the ceiling and they finally focus through this hole in the ceiling. Detective Dan gasps. <gasps> Sergeant Smith can barely breathe. As Sergeant Smith is holding that flashlight over that hole, he realizes his deepest fear has come true. Arachnophobia. The two flashlights are aiming directly at this giant spider's head. They said the head alone was a foot in diameter, with rows upon rows of black eyes glistening as the flashlights dance across its face. It moved slightly, letting the detective see this thing was so big its legs were three feet long. It's staring at them through this hole. And in his panic, Sergeant Smith drops his flashlight. It hits the floor with a thud and smashes. It goes out. Now there's only one light to illuminate the entire elevator. And this smashing sound distracts Dan just enough that he moves his light off of the spider. In the split second that the elevator is completely consumed in darkness... The spider launches from the hole and attaches itself to Sergeant Smith's head. Detective Dan brings the flashlight up and illuminates the scene. This massive spider with three foot long legs wrapped around Sergeant Smith's body plunges its fangs right into the sergeant's cheek and begins sucking out all of his blood. The detective watches the spider's huge abdomen begin to turn red as it begins to gorge itself on fresh, warm human blood. Dan fires twice, missing once, with a second shot tearing off one of this creature's legs. It immediately let go of the sergeant and then scurried up, back up the elevator, out the hole in the roof, and into the elevator shaft. Sergeant Smith collapses on the ground. Detective Dan grabs his walkie-talkie. Radio's in for help. The police come out. The fire department comes out to pry open the doors of the elevator. Inside, they find one dead police sergeant. Dead of shock. His worst three fears coming out of hell to take his life. And also slumped against the wall is the detective, still gripping his gun, still gripping his flashlight, quivering in terror that the thing may return. Once they had an official answer for what this thing was, the army, the army was sent in, right? Obviously, two police aren't going to do it. You're not going to keep putting police into this building. They send in the army. They come in with flamethrowers. They evacuate the building. They make their way through the elevator shaft. And at the top of the elevator shaft, there it is. 
A seven-legged freak. <sharp inhale> Stepping back, threatening the army men, raising its arms up and going, Hee! But the army men trained their flamethrowers <sharp inhale> and set the spider on fire, this giant beast from beyond. <sharp inhale> All legs curling up, body continuing to be engulfed in flames. Hey, we got something over here too, Captain, one of the army men says. Look. And the captain shines his flashlight over in a corner of the elevator shaft. There is a nest full of giant spider eggs. Burn them all, boys! That's the story of the Ukraine mutant spider. It's a fascinating story. I love this one. One, one it sounds straight like a sci-fi channel movie, right? And be a great low-budget film, too. You only need, what, four? You only need four actors, a, a CGI spider, puppet spider, preferably, and then a flamethrower. Basically, that's it. I love this story. I just came across it the other day. I found this great website. I think I've talked about him before on the show, but historicmysteries.com. Check that out. There's a lot of really cool stuff there. I never heard of this before. Um, Ukraine's mutant spider is what this story is known as. And then it goes into this was covered up by the military, covered up by the Russian government, and it was revealed by a Turkish newspaper. It sounds very urban legendy because we don't have any real... We don't know the name of the newspaper when the article is published, anything like that. But what I find fascinating about it is that the reason why they would cover it up was that this was a mutant from Chernobyl. That this was basically this giant spider was a creation because Russian incompetence. So that would be why they would cover it up. So that's interesting just from a... We have that conspiracy angle. That also is very sci-fi channel movie, and I love sci-fi channel movies. So we have that... We have the giant spider. We have just a creepy story. Who likes elevators, right? <laughs> I think it's funny that they assigned the guy who, in the story, in the urban legend, this sergeant does have those three uh, phobias. That's not a narrative device I came up with. Like if, if, Whoever made this story up, if it is a totally original urban legend, that, that's admittedly pretty clever. So is this story true? Obviously, we don't know. It sounds like it's possible, right? We have the nuclear radiation. You're like, Jason, once again, once again, that is not how science works. I know, but it sounds plausible. It sounds plausible if you know nothing about science. Why? I'm surprised we don't have more giant spider stories. We've covered we, we 801 episodes. That's at least 1,600 stories. We've covered giant spiders, I think, three times. The Jabba Fofi. The giant man-eating spider that was coming out of the catacombs in France. And then this one. I'm surprised we don't have more giant spider stories. Because spiders are creepy. I don't have arachnophobia. But if a spider was the size of a Rottweiler, I would definitely not be anywhere in that location. They're too smart. They're too fast. They have all sorts of tricks and trades that make them an apex predator. The only reason why we don't fear them as much because they're so tiny. If you had your choice between facing down a Bigfoot or facing down facing down a spider the size of Bigfoot, which would you choose? A chupacabra or a spider the size of the chupacabra? 
And then we just have this whole idea of just being trapped in the darkness with this thing. It's just fascinating story. On the one hand, I don't want it to be true because a bunch of people died and I'd feel bad for their families. But on the other hand, what an interesting way to wrap up season 16. Just such a, a creepy story that I hope... I hope you think about every time you go to an elevator. From now on, whenever you're in an elevator, I want you to imagine the feeling of those two police detectives. Or, if you want to be really brutal, the 13-year-old girl, she's licking on a lollipop. Ah, oh, today's the best day ever. Lights go out. Elevators by themselves kind of suck because you're trapped in an enclosed location with people you don't know. So that's not cool. And then, unless they're beautiful women, and then you can hit on them, apparently, in Jason's world. And then you have that light going out, and that little clickety-clackety of the... Imagine how big a spider must be to hear its feet walk. Creepy story. And then you go, you know what, Jason, just from now on, I'm going to take the stairs. So you do that. You start getting a really good leg workout as you're walking up and down the stairs at work or your apartment complex, wherever you're at. One day you're in the stairwell and you hear a and the lights go out the floor above you and then lights go out the next floor above you. Lights go out and you're plunged into darkness on the staircase and you hear clickety click, 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 Pitch black, but you swear you hear the sound of a giant spider crawling up the steps towards you. And as you sit there in the darkness, praying for safety. You're like, Jason, Jason, why do we even listen to this episode? I die all the time at the end of the segments. As you're sitting there in the darkness and you're like, oh, I should have listened to Dead Rapper Radio more. I should have promoted the show. No, giant spider, don't kill me. I'll spread the word. I'll spread the word. As the spider wraps around you and its fangs go into your... The cheek, isn't that so brutal too? The fact that it got him in the cheek instead of just the neck. The spider was just being vengeful at this time. The spider talons go into your cheek. You're like, no! You learned that whether you take the elevator or the stairs... Whether you live in 1990s Ukraine or 2021, wherever country you're at right now, it doesn't matter. From the day you were born, you were always destined to be eaten by a giant spider in a pitch black room. But that wasn't even the worst part. This spider drags you away back to its nest. And as the rest of the world is celebrating a Merry Christmas, as Santa Claus is riding around in his sleigh, ho, 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 you hear. You're like, whoa, Santa's real? That's amazing. You hear Santa Claus' sleigh fly, fly outside the building you're trapped in. You're not thinking about presents. You're not thinking about hot cocoa. You're feeling this spider lay eggs directly, <laughs> directly into your stomach. You feel each individual egg getting deposited in through your belly button. You're like, ah, uh, And as your stomach starts to bloat, as it's filling you full of more and more eggs, and then the eggs are wiggling inside of you, you can feel them wanting to hatch just under your skin. You go, ah. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I'm prolonging this. As the rest of the world is spending time with family, you realize you're about to have a family of your own. You're about to give birth. To thousands of babies. <laughs> thousands of baby spiders. 
Ho, ho, ho. They all burst out of you. And Santa shows up. He's like, here's your present. He starts throwing up. He's like, oh, man, this is so disgusting. I hate my job. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great holiday, great Merry Christmas, winter break, all of that stuff. I will be back January 11th. I love you guys. Have a great one.